Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on Block Talk Radio. I'm your host Brian Jora, and I'll be joined in just a few moments by Jock Thompson from Baseball HQ. Now, usually here on the program we dive pretty deep into the Mets, and we're going to do things just a little bit differently tonight. We're going to talk about the Mets, of course, but we're also going to talk about some broader baseball um, issues, and uh, I think that's going to make it for a nice change of pace. So, joining me tonight uh, from Baseball HQ is Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm very pleased that you're here. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, tonight's Mets game, uh, Matt Harvey was the starting pitcher, and last time out uh, he threw five shutout innings and looked like maybe he was turning the corner. But uh, tonight his velocity was down, gave up three homers in four innings, and he got pounded. So I just want to know from, from you, I want to get the, uh, a non-biased take on him. Is is this all Harvey's going to be from now on, or do you think that there's hope for him either later this year or sometime in the future? You know, thoracic outlet seems like such an unknown injury, particularly with my not being a medical professional. It's uh, it's it's really hard for me to figure out, you know, what he's going through and you know where he might go from here. But it, it, it's almost like it's it's very akin to trying to assess those those pitchers that go through. Uh, um, plasma-rich uh, um, uh, protein uh, methods for rehabbing yeah. things like, you know, Tommy John and rotator cuffs. Uh, you guys had had some real success with that with Bartolo Colon. Um, the Angels, on the other hand, haven't haven't seen the same thing with Garrett Richard, and I suspect it has something to do with uh, the deliveries of the two pitchers being completely different. Um, it forces that Harvey just got off of Tommy John surgery, and he looked like he was coming back the combination of these injuries could be really devastating. You know, we always worried that uh, Harvey was going to pitch great the the first six years that he was under team control, and then he was going to bolt for greener pastures. And and now I think if you pulled most Mets fans, they'd be like, well, you know, uh, it was fun while it lasted. Unfortunately, it didn't last too long. And, and as someone who's always been a real big Harvey fan, it's just really a shame. And, and I have to think from just from a baseball perspective, you want the guys who throw 97 miles per hour with control, you want them to be healthy and have long careers. Yeah, um, and, and if you look at his, his year-over-year statistics, everything is really kind of trending badly right now, particularly the, the strikeouts per nine uh, he threw. Uh, I mean, he, th- he threw pretty hard his first three years. Obviously, his his velocity is only down a tick this year. But remember, we've changed the measurements, uh, or at least Major League Baseball has changed the measurements in terms of 
of uh, how they look at velocity. And most most starting pitchers' velocity is ticking up, so I suspect he's lost a little bit. And if you look at the control, it's down. The swing and miss is down. Uh, um, it's it's you're right. It's not a pretty picture right now. You know, at the beginning of the year or before the year even started, uh, pitching coach Dan Warthen, he speculated that uh, we were gonna. It was gonna take a couple of months until we saw the velocity return from Harvey, and I think he Warthen was pointing towards uh, late May as when we would expect uh, Harvey's velocity to return, and unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. But anyway, enough about that depressing topic. Let's let's uh, shift gears and and uh, talk about something not depressing, but uh, maybe maybe uh, a little controversial. And and that's uh, Terry Collins. And he's always been a lightning rod among Mets fans. Some guys really love him. He's a guy who wears his hearts on his sleeve, and I think he does a great job of getting his players to play hard for him. But a lot of his dugout moves seem to to leave a a lot to be desired. And you got to see Terry out on the West Coast when uh, he broke in uh, managing the Angels. And I just wanted your thoughts about uh, Collins then maybe versus what he is now. Yeah, you know, I, I got to see him a long time ago. And actually when the Mets hired him, I was, I was really surprised because of the way he left, uh, the way he left this area. Um, he, was, he was good his first couple of years. I think, in, I think it was 97, 98. I think we had winning records. Uh, we had players with health. Uh, but 1999 was a disaster. I mean, the the injuries hit, and it seemed as though when things went bad, he got very uptight. Uh, he's very kind of an emotional guy. He wore everything on his chest, very similar to, to what Larry Boa has done as a manager. And the thing that I really remember about his tenure was how it ended uh, um, in August. They were, And I was watching the game. The Angels were, were, were beating Cleveland, I think, by eight or ten runs. And that lead disappeared really quickly, uh, and there were a couple of brawls. The dugouts emptied twice, um, all except for Mo Vaughn, who'd been taken out early during what, again, looked like a blowout, and who was reportedly in the clubhouse eating during the fight. And the other angels were were irritated that Mo had been wearing out his welcome before then anyway. And uh, I think Terry put Mo Vaughn in the lineup the next day, and and there was a player revolt. They went to the front office. They said they weren't going to play for him again. And a couple of days later, as I recall, that's when he resigned. So it ended awfully ugly. Um, I, it sounds like he's changed a lot, and people do do grow. Um, maybe they don't change, but uh, they do grow, and I'm sure he's not nearly as bad as he was. Uh, but at the time, it was it was kind of an interesting hire, I thought. Collins had two managerial stops before he joined the Mets. Of course, he was with the Angels, and he was also with the Astros. Ten years in both cities kind of went the same way. He had some initial success and then maybe lost the clubhouse a little bit. And it's been the exact opposite in New York where he didn't have any initial success, but he managed to keep the clubhouse together. And I think that's a real interesting thing. You were talking about change versus growth, and it just seems – seems odd to me that a guy who who lost clubhouses in two different cities is it has been able to keep one together and not just keep it together but keep it together in in uh, a major media market yeah it is interesting uh, going particularly from uh, from this area which which i mean orange county is pretty laid back but that was one of the reasons i thought that uh, uh, the, the hiring was surprising i mean going to new york from from uh Southern California is it's it's a lot different environment. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I haven't I haven't watched Collins that and not not nearly as closely as you and a lot of your listeners have since he's since he's gone to New York. Uh, 
I'd be interested in knowing what his strengths are and 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 why so many people want uh, are are interested in seeing him him leave. It seems like uh, the lack of Mets success is is starting to wear a little bit on Mets fans, and and a lot of it's pointing to Collins. You know, Collins' biggest strength, hands down, is ability to handle the media. And I don't think that that's a small task, especially in, in the New York market. Uh, but the area where Collins gets himself in trouble is what he does in the decisions that affect in-game strategy. And I don't think that there's any fan base that's particularly thrilled with how their manager handles the bullpen. But uh, Collins is, is in love with matchups. And he's blown out the pen. And uh, he, he's done it year after year. And, and as Met fans, I think we're frustrated that somebody who's in uh, is an intelligent of a GM as Sandy Alderson is doesn't step in and, and exert more influence on the bullpen situation. Interesting managing the media. The, the, the first time that really dawned on me, believe it or not, was when I was first uh, in a clubhouse interview and listening to Dave Roberts over in the Dodgers. And, and I immediately understood one of the reasons the Dodgers uh, hired him. He's one of the very best at handling the media. He's, he, he, he really knows what he's doing out there and particularly coming off of, uh, of Don Mattingly, who wasn't, uh, wasn't quite as charismatic or, or uh, um, um, fluent um, with, uh, with journalists. Uh, but it, w- it was an interesting uh, half hour I spent there that day. Well, we've got to get off of the subject of Terry Collins or else I'll rant for the remainder of our 30 minutes. So so let's talk about um, offense. And home runs are up everywhere, and, and we're deep in the uh, three true outcomes era of baseball where it seems like every game there's more strikeouts and more walks and more home runs. And a lot of people... A lot of people think that that's a problem. It's not as aesthetically pleasing of a game when that's all you see. But I want to know, do you think it's a big problem for the game, for MLB as a whole? Um, Do you think it's the enjoyment of the longtime fans or the recruitment of new fans where it may or may not be an issue? Yeah, if it's not a big problem now, I think it's going to be because, let's face it, uh, the interest in other sports over baseball is all about action. And I'm looking at box scores, and I'm looking at four to three games, and I'm seeing five home runs being hit. And uh, you just wonder, well, what else is going on in those games? I, I was surprised because last year we set a home run record, um, home runs per game, and this year we're going to break that record. And, of course, strikeouts are up, and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, probably should touch on that a little bit too. We've really gotten to a, a three-true outcome uh, situation and when that happens, uh, you know, teams aren't hitting and running. They're not stealing bases. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of balls in play. I think it's kind of soul-crushing, for, particularly for the, for the young kids who want to see more action. Now, now we all remember the, the famous commercial from 15 years or so ago and it was with the, the big Atlanta Braves pitchers and chicks dig the long ball. And, I, and as, a, as a Met fan, when, when I first grew up and was watching the team, they didn't have any power at all. And so I guess I've always been really impressed by the, the big home run hitters. And when the Mets got Dave Kingman, that was, a, that was a huge thing and something that we've never seen before. So to me, the home runs are, are not the problem. To me, it, it's the, the strikeouts. And I don't know if you could have one without the other. And uh, it, it's almost like, um, you know, in, in business or accounting, you talk about a, a manufacturing process that has waste. 
and you know, I think that you almost have to look at the strikeouts as waste. I mean, it, it just it just is, and I, I don't know if you can get around that. Um, do you, do you think that uh, you can have home runs without strikeouts? No, I, I honestly don't. Not for the most part, because people are changing. Uh, people are changing their swing paths. Uh, you've got a guy like Yonder Alonso uh, who's striking out a little bit more this year. He's 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 gone from. Uh, I think a mid eighties contact guy to a mid seventies contact guy, but uh, in Alonzo's case, it's working because the, the home runs have really jumped and, and the batting average hasn't dropped really yet at all. I mean, he, he just wasn't making enough authoritative contact doing, doing it the way he was. So um, I get what some players are doing and I understand the changes that are made. Uh, uh, Alonzo right now is, is being as patient as he's ever been, but he's really headhunting. He's looking for a pitch and he's trying to drive it. Um, and that's and 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 another function of that is there's going to be some swing and miss in his game. Now I think one thing that that goes hand in hand with uh, the increase in strikeouts is, at least to my perception, the increase in check strike calls. And to my way of, of thinking, when I watch the game now, they're, they're, they're asking for appeals on plays and getting strikes called on ones that you wouldn't have even appealed 15 or 20 years ago. And it's very frustrating, and it doesn't seem to be very consistent from, from day to day or umpire to umpire. Is there anything that, that MLB can do uh, to, to, to fix the, the check strike situation? You know, that, that's an interesting observation, and it's not something that, that I've really noticed or picked up on, mainly because technology has, has obviously allowed uh, teams to question now with instant replay pretty much everything that hasn't been questioned in the past. I mean, obviously not, not the, the check swings. Um, and the one thing that, that jumps into my – the one thing that really jumps out at me, given the, 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 uh, the TV um, – strike box that we're seeing um, on, on most broadcasts is how many blown calls there have been uh, still on, on balls and strikes. Uh, check swings at all, check swings to me, based on what I've seen, um, it, it, it seems as though that, that that's, that's a, a more modest problem than the other thing. But uh, you've looked at this obviously more careful, or maybe, maybe you've, maybe you've had some different experiences than I have uh, I'm just wondering why we can't get robots behind the plate. Well, I remember many, many years ago in, in spring training one year, they tried to have some kind of mechanical umpire. But every time that the batter uh, took his bat and brewed up the robot. So hopefully we've advanced with the technology at some point. But, you know, I think that's obviously an umpire union question, and I can't imagine it happening in my lifetime, although I would welcome uh, our new robot overlords with open arms in, in that particular case. But uh, recently during uh, one of the Mets broadcasts, the Mets have excellent broadcaster in uh, Gary Cohen, and uh, he made the observation that ever since replay came into effect, it seems like the calls at first base where it used to be that it, or at least the, the appearance was that the umpires got the call right much, much more often than they didn't on those bang-bang plays. 
Gary Cohen's point of view was that with re since replay has come in, that the percentage of calls getting right at first base has gone down, which I thought was a really interesting case. And and we've seen so many of these, and they have the super slow motion, and you can break it down almost frame by frame. And you do see a lot of the umpires' calls getting toned, turned over at first base. And does that surprise you? And, and what do you think of uh, of Gary Cohen's observation from the other night? Yeah, I would have to know what he's basing that on. Um, does he have numbers that he's actually kept? No, no, just gut, gut feeling. Yeah, because huh, I'm not sure about that. I mean, could it be that umpires are getting lazier now that they know there's replay? Aren't they being judged on, on their initial calls? I mean, I, I really don't know. I'm just asking the question. Well, if they're not, they really should be. But, uh, you know, it, it was just an observation, and it was something that I hadn't thought of. But once uh, Cohen said it, it, it kind of rang true for me. But anyway, let, let's shift gears here a little bit. And we just had the MLB draft. And uh, I think that in the last few years, uh, uh, certainly with the, the efforts of MLB advanced media, we've, we've seen a lot of increase in, in awareness and appreciation for, the, for baseball's draft. It, it's still miles away from what we see in the NFL and the NBA. And I just want to know, do you think that there's anything more that MLB can do to make its draft more appealing? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure. I mean, one big problem is that the college game just doesn't draw the fans that, say, college football and basketball does. Um, the fans in those sports are already fans of many of these players, or at least they've heard of them or maybe even seen them play. Not so much baseball. And, and a lot of these guys, high school and college, uh, they, they get drafted by their – and they're four to six years away from, from producing in the majors. So there's – there's a lot less buzz. It just takes so long for these guys to get to the big club. I don't know. Maybe the interest is somehow improving. Maybe the the, the question is somehow improving interest in, in the minor league and the college games. Uh, uh, but other than that, I'm not sure. What do you think? Well, I'm a big college basketball fan. Uh, don't really watch very much college football, and I watch virtually no college baseball. But in in the week, two weeks before the draft, I'm devouring all the information that I can get, constantly going over to Baseball America, uh, checking out what uh, Keith Law has has written, going over to Sickles Minor League Ball site, and just trying to familiarize myself with the names and, and some of the the advantages going on. And the Mets drafted a, a pitcher from Oregon named uh, David Peterson and had a 20 strikeout game, and uh, you know not not too shabby for the 20th pick of the draft. So. I mean, I don't know how much more they can do promotional-wise, but, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, with, when most of these guys don't make it for four to six years, you get a guy drafted in the NFL in the first round, you're going to see him. You get a guy in the NBA drafted in the first round, you're going to see him then that, that next year. And for the most part, uh, unless you're David Clyde uh, or Bob Horner, we're not going to see that. And uh, that's just the way it is. It's an uphill battle. Yeah, I think you're right. I think baseball is just at an inherent disadvantage when it comes down to this. All right. Well, we were talking about some of the, the big pictures in the game, and, and I don't think we can uh, talk about this subject and, and not talk about the, the shifts. Now, the, the, the Mets have a lot of lefty hitters, so we see a, a lot of shifts. I don't think that there's any team out there that doesn't shift against Lucas Duda or, or Curtis Granderson. And this year there's been a lot of talk about combating the shift by hitting more fly balls 
which makes sense. You know, the shift uh, takes away the ground balls. So don't hit ground balls, hit fly balls. But, you know, as, as people who've watched the game for a really long time, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is, well, why don't they bunt or hit the other way? Um, so what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I really don't understand why bunting has become such a lost art because, let's face it, if you have a hitter who is whose uh, um, um, patterns are, are all swinging one way and is easy to shift on, if he doesn't bunt, it's going to cost him a lot of points in batting average. If he knows how to bunt, he can keep that shift on us. So I I don't really understand that. Uh, in terms of, of, of hitting the other way, um, Obviously, with hitters swinging for the fences now, they're taking a different approach. If you can't, uh, if you can't hit it through the shift, hit it over the shift. Um, so uh, it, it just seems. I, I think you're right. It seems kind of counterintuitive. Some some of the approaches or non-approaches that that uh, haven't been taken. One of the players, in in my opinion, who was most hurt by the shift was Ryan Howard of the Phillies. And I think that uh, trying to get the lefty-on-lefty uh, -lefty advantage and the, the teams employing shifts against him really took him from uh, an all-star type player to, to a guy who was more of a roster filler. And somebody with, with like Howard, who had already been in the majors for so many years, you could see him being uh, hesitant to adjust what got him to the majors. And I guess what I don't understand is you got uh, a guy who's a big lefty, power hitter in, in the minors, he you, you can't have him practice some bunting on the way up? I mean, to me, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I almost think that, that this has to be done early in a player's career to get them used to the idea of, hey, you know, I mean, we get it. You're a home run hitter and stick the long ball and you like to hit homers, but uh, we really need you to do this because it's going to extend your career. It's going to help our team if you do. Now another, uh, or maybe maybe it's not a big issue any place besides my mind. But one of one of my fantasies is that we go back and we turn back the clock and we have uh, a four-man rotation again. And I know that the Rockies tried it a, a few years ago, but pretty much they're the only one in in 20 years probably who who've done it for any length of time. And that was what half of a year, a third of a year, something like that. So do you, can you ever imagine uh, a time, say, like in the next 20 years, where a Major League Baseball team commits to a four-man rotation for an entire year? You know, I honestly can't because everything seems to be going the other direction unless one of the things MLB could do to, to, to maybe make teams think about that is, is reduce the schedule, and that's not going to happen. The schedule is so long. Um, the weather's getting warmer. These players are so big and, and so complicated. Uh, I think the injuries are up. Um, we're talking about the advantages that specialization has and, and matchups and things like that. Uh, I, I, just, I just don't see it. In fact, if, if anything, I, I see teams trying to get deeper and deeper in their, in their organizations. Um, you're seeing it now in bullpens. Uh, the, the Chris Davinsky's of the world and uh, these new um, long middle relievers are, are starting to become big forces both in baseball and in, fa and in fantasy baseball. Um, they're starting to be real factors given that uh, um, reliable starting pitching seems to be on the wane the last couple of years. Uh, we've, we've, we seem to have had a big increase in injuries and, and, uh, and starters that just, just can't answer the bell uh, often enough. So, um, I just don't see how that happens, frankly. 
But but to me, what you just said is the reason for it to happen. We have so many pitchers right now who just, quite frankly, aren't good. And I don't see why somebody, and it doesn't have to be a, a team at the top of the heap. Usually innovation comes from the bottom. But why somebody hasn't said, hey, you know, instead of instead of having – um, our two good pitchers pitch two times every five. Why don't we have them pitch two times every four, and and look to eliminate the uh, the the one guy with the ERA of seven. And it seems like pretty much every team has somebody in their rotation with an ERA, maybe not seven, but uh, I certainly don't think it's it's odd to find somebody who has an ERA over five. I mean, the the Mets have it. The Cubs have it. I mean, everywhere you look around, you see teams with uh, a starter with an ERA over five. And a few years ago, that would have been almost unthinkable for the top clubs to have something like that. Now, that's a real good point. It, it really depends on um, can a pitcher stay healthy and, and provide that sort of uh, production going uh, going six, uh, seven innings, or let's just say five to seven innings and giving up uh, – three, four, five runs, and then, you know, and then calling it quits. Uh, it's an interesting question. When when I was growing up, we still had the the occasional guy who hit the 300-inning the pitched plateau. And, but, I mean, I think it's this has been true throughout baseball history is we've asked pitchers to do less and less. And I think that part of that has been good. I mean, I think that uh, some of the things that we asked pitchers to do in, in earlier times and, and even in in the second half of the 20th century was just kind of insane where we were asking people to consistently go 150 pitches in an outing. Um, and I think that unquestionably that led to arm injuries. But we've never had somebody run a rotation, a four-man rotation, with uh, strict adherence to you know 100 110 type of pitch count, and I think it would be I think it would be great if if a team that was consistently on the bottom of the rung oh I don't know the Padres perhaps would just say hey we're going to try a four man rotation but we're going to limit pitchers to 100 pitches because my theory is that it's not the the four days that killed the pitchers it was the 150 inning oh, 150 pitches per outing that did them in. That's an interesting thought, and and actually, when 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 you delve a little deeper into this, one team that is running an interesting rotation experiment based on the ten day rule is the Dodgers, and and the reason they're able to do that, of course, is their depth. Uh, if you look at the way they've handled their pitching staff this year, uh, they will give uh, pretty much everybody except for Kershaw. Well, everybody except for Kershaw has had a ten day DL stint, if not if not two of them and some of some pitchers have had three of them um so basically what they're doing is um they are running a rotation in which uh you know i, I mean it, it might be close to something to the what we're talking about right now now the dodgers have had to do that out of almost necessity last year was comical with the number of injuries that uh happened to their rotation and they've had a lot of dl stints this year but i'm almost thinking that uh it's it's at least as much uh rule manipulation as it is actual injuries but you're closer to the situation do you think that's accurate yeah i think it is um because these injuries are um most of these pitchers have all come back after ten days so it's hard it's hard for me to believe that half of them um you know i they probably could have pitched in five days um you know maybe they could have had their starts pushed back a little bit 
but they weren't weren't particularly injured. Now, you mentioned something earlier that I'd like to circle back to, and you mentioned uh, Chris Devensky over in Houston, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, bullpen deployments. It seems like this year, my, my impression is we've seen a little bit more variation from what's become the standard bullpen deployment this year. Um, is that fair? Do you, do you have a, a similar type observation? Yeah, I do. And managers want now is to have their cake and eat it too. I think they I think they realize that the bullpen likes order and they like uh, they like roles, fixed roles. Um, it helps you know keep their mentality. This is how I'm going to be used. This is how I'll go into the game, and it, it allows them pr- to project a little bit. On the other hand, when games get out of hand and there are injuries, and with with performances that seem to be vacillating. Um, they also want to do matchups, and they also want to put in their best pitcher at certain times, and sometimes they want to or need to throw them more than an inning in a close game. So I think you're going to see more of that, and I think I, I think what's going to happen with that uh, is that you're going to have more situations like I think you've, you've um, talked about um, uh, with the Mets, and that you're going to see a lot of bullpens getting blown out, particularly if the starters can't handle the workload. Um, Depth is going to be a big factor in uh, in in terms of the managers that are successful juggling that particular fixed roles versus matchups and and undefined roles uh, situation. But I think you're going to see a lot more and more uh, managers changing things up, and uh, it's going to create a lot of confusion and uh, and maybe even some dissent among fans and on pitch and on pitch, in pitching staffs. The NFL is always the one that gets accused of being a copycat league, but I think that same principle can apply to MLB as well. And we saw how much success the Indians had once they acquired Andrew Miller last year. And one of the things that the Mets are talking about is if their rotation gets straightened out, uh, moving Robert Gesellman into the bullpen and, and maybe utilizing him like that Swiss Army knife. And I'll be real curious to see if, if more teams go to that guy who they'll bring in in pressure situations and let him pitch two innings or three innings at a time. And I think that would be a really smart use of resources. Yeah, it's interesting. Isn't Aren't the Mets now talking about a six-man rotation for the time being to see what happens? I, isn't Gesellman yeah, the, uh, the – Currently, they are running a six-man rotation. That was at least in part because they had a doubleheader uh, this weekend. Um, but uh, after what uh, happened with Harvey's outing tonight, it'll be real curious to see if they continue with the six or if they uh, actually uh, uh, swallow their pride and, and send Harvey to the bullpen because, quite frankly, he's the starting pitcher who deserves it the most. Ms. Elman has been uh, real good his last four or five outings. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, why not try Harvey in the bullpen? He still can throw 93-94, and maybe that'll be a way to jack his velocity up. It's happened before. Well, we're just about out of time. I want to get uh, one question in here real quick, and that's uh, a little feature of the of the podcast. That each week we talk about a crazy prediction, and I'm going to give you one, and then I want to turn around and have you give me one as well. Uh, after you talk about how crazy or or not crazy mine is. And and my crazy prediction this week is that uh, of the current six division leaders, that five of them will not end the season that way. Is is that crazy? I don't think that's crazy. I don't think that's crazy at all. There's there's been too many injuries. Um, There are too many teams that, I mean, last year at this – 
let's say in March uh, uh, before this season, the Cubs looked like a shoe-in for the playoffs. I don't think they are right now, and I think their starting pitching is part of the problem. They're, and I don't see where they're going to get it from because there's not a lot of starting pitching on the trade market, and they don't have a lot in their organization. So um, I, I don't see your, your crazy thing all that crazy. All right, well, let me defend my prediction then, because right now you mentioned the Cubs, and I agree with everything you say, but they're not leading the division. The Brewers are. Um, and then right now we have the Astros, who I think have a 12, 11, 12 game lead. And then you have uh, the Nationals, who have an eight and a half game lead. So uh, you think that uh, both of those, or at least one of those teams, is, is going to lose their lead? Well, if you look at the Nationals bullpen and you look at the shape of the Astros pitching, and again, we're talking about early June, honestly, uh, the crazy thing that I was going to give you was, was something feeding off, off of your crazy thing. I actually see a path for the Angels of all teams to, uh, to make the playoffs. Um, now, you could say this about all 500 teams, and that's what they're playing right now, but they entered tonight half a game out of the second wild card, um, Trout is talking about coming back early. Eric Young is on fire. Um, Bedrosia uh, is coming back uh, tomorrow night. Um, Norris and Blake Parker have been fine out of the bullpen, along with Yosemiro Petit. Um, J.C. Ramirez and Alex Meyer are starting to uh, develop a little bit as starting pitchers. And if they could just get Tyler Skaggs and Garrett Richards back in August, this is a very weak division. And uh, other than Houston, who – I. I still don't see as a shoe-in right now, given what's happened to their starting pitching. I actually see a path for the Angels that I did not see at the beginning of the year. Now, certainly, if at the the beginning of the year or even the first month of the year, if you talked about the Angels making the playoffs, that would have been uh, absolutely 100% certified, send for the men with the uh, straitjackets type of crazy. It would have been your home. Um, well, yeah, yeah. But the, the bullpen has, has been surprisingly good for, what, two years now at least? And uh, well, the starting pitching, uh, yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah, the, the pen is much better this year. The pen, was, uh, the pen wasn't great last year. The starting pitching was awful. Um, starting pitching, again, got injured early. But their injuries, uh, hopefully, and, and again, the, the real key for all of this, I think, we're talking about the playoff is health going forward. The healthiest teams are – or the teams that are going to wind up in the postseason, um, they're going to need to get. I think they're going to need to get one of Skaggs or Richards back, and that's where the long shot comes in. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. So it's very depressing as a Mets fan to hear you say that the uh, the healthy teams are going to make the playoffs. Because however true that may be, it doesn't seem like that that's the the fate for the Mets uh, this century. Well, Jock, uh, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, to me, the the time flew by tonight, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Hey, it was fun, Brian. We'll do it again. Great. Well, thanks, everyone, for, for tuning in, and please join us again next Wednesday night at uh, 11 o'clock here on Blog Talk Radio. Good night, everyone. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.